Hi, I'm Dylan Taylor, Chairman and CEO of Voyager Space Holdings, and I listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its Board of Advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization, or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. In my quest to bring you more people who understand process and the struggles and successes of scaling businesses, I bring you Phil Gerbyshack, the Chief Revenue Officer of Process and Results, a company that focuses on sales and sales ops and how to get from A to B. We do some of this stuff at Cold Star too, but uh, frankly, there are areas where I would be happier to have Phil <laughs> working on it with him and his people. He's also the host of Conversations with Phil, a really great uh, podcast slash show, kind of like mine, where he gets people that he likes uh, who have something to share on. And he also is a great speaker. If you have an audience, uh, whether it's virtual or in person, and you need a great keynote speaker, you should really talk to Phil about that. So today we're going to talk about sales process and leadership. These are topics that I think are ignored in many uh, of the companies that, uh, that we look at on this show here. Uh, they're just interested in the technical and engineering side. Well, that's great. It's wonderful that you've designed something, but uh, you have to have a customer, which means you've got to go sell the thing. And uh, I've been a sales trainer for over 10 years, worked with uh, small companies through large, and Phil has done the same. So we're going to get into a whole bunch of uh, topics here about sales and mindset, uh, the difference between coaching sales line salespeople and sales leaders in your organization and uh, technology stack decisions so tune in because these are the challenges and the struggles that you're going to go through as you scale your business whether you're engineering minded primarily or not so phil welcome you're the cro of process and results and i wanted to have you on because we in the space and defense industry we have a lot of engineering minded startups who want to go create the next coolest mousetrap and then what Right. And uh, and so some of what you do in your business overlaps with a little bit of what we do at Cold Star. Um, you've got a, a different focus, obviously different industry focus. Um, but I, I wanted you on to, to be able to tell uh, our listeners a little more about what it's what it's like when you're running a real business as opposed to an R&D department that has some funding, right? And so let's, let's begin with this. You're known for sales process and leadership. These are three things that we're going to dig into in this discussion. Uh, and, and looking into your background, you know, you, you and I know some of the same people. We're both big fans of Joseph Paris. Uh, you had Tom Peters on your show. Uh, I think he was the first episode of the reboot, which was really cool. And uh, he's not an easy guy to get on. So, you know, in, in your background, you've had opportunities to lead salespeople. You've coached, say, like 160 sales professionals and had 25 or so sales leaders uh, in, in a bunch of locations that you were taking care of. And so I wanted to hear from you. What's the number one issue that you encountered the salespeople struggling with? Discipline to process is the number one issue that most people struggle with, most salespeople, most sales leaders struggle with. Discipline and process is so hard because the best laid process that doesn't get executed is the worst laid process. 
So if we don't have discipline to that, both as a salesperson as well as a sales leader, we're jointly accountable here, right? The sales leader has to deliver on their promise and the salesperson has to deliver on their promise. And if there's a miss either place, if we're di not disciplined to that process, that promise, if you will, well, we're missing out, right? Where, where is the opportunity here if we're not doing things deliberately? Because then it's like, well, oh yeah, well, you just missed a step. Well, is that really the miss or what was the miss, right? I mean, so if you don't do that, you don't have any way to go back and measure. I think of it a little bit like marketing where we want a single variant test, right? We've got yeah. this, we've got this marketing campaign laid out with four different pieces of data, four different pieces of information. Well, is the headline bad? Is the graphic bad? Is the landing page bad? Is the actual offer itself bad? Okay, well, uh, with a salesperson, right? How, how did, was the phone number bad? Was the email address bad? Was it the wrong person? Was it the wrong timing? What, what happened here, right? As we do discovery, we have to do that. And then the sales leader is accountable to their salesperson for removing obstacles, fighting with marketing to get the right, the right battle cards, right? Fighting with marketing to get the right data, to get the right person to say, no, no, no. This is our decision maker, and here are our influencers. Do we have content for each of them that helps them make a decision just this much faster so that when I call, you actually will take my call, or when I email, you'll take it because it's 15 tries to get that, and that shortens up based on good stuff, right? That shortens up based on the fact that I have good information to share with you as my prospect, that's really important. So I think, again, that discipline to be able to do that and then feed forward to that marketing team and say, hey, Jason, what? what's this? This isn't working, bro. Give me something better. Right. Yeah, Phil, I've been in sales and marketing and business development roles since the 90s. <laughs> and I can tell you, I mean, I think back to 1999, uh, I started a new job. Uh, there were eight salespeople in this big trailer, there was a multi-million dollar power uh, equipment company and the salespeople were off in their own uh, room basically. And, and across the hall from me in the trailer, there was another salesperson and I could hear what they were doing. Uh, and I had no process at the time, but I could tell what they were doing and how they were handling the sales role was completely different than what I was doing and what the person behind me was doing. There was no consistency in the same darn company. And I saw this over and over again from little startups through multinationals. What do you have to say to a founder who's uh, got a little bit of success? Maybe they've, they've uh, proven out their message to market fit. They're making some sales. And uh, they're sort of just galloping forward as fast as they can, uh, hiring salespeople. They're not looking at uh, consistency and process and that. They don't really care to do reviews or anything. They're just like, hey, we're making sales. Uh, what are they in danger of, of encountering with that sort of, you know, again, galloping forward approach? Yeah, well, first, you know, if you're making sales, congratulations. Now you have some money to invest in your business, right? So what you're in danger of is splintering off and serving 36 markets or 36 different types of people or 36 personas that are horrible for your business that might cause you to dilute your message because sometimes sales is not good. Sometimes sales aren't good, right? We have to think about, is this the right sale to the customer that we want to work with? Now, I'm not telling you to turn down the money. 
I want to be really clear, founders, you're listening to me. Phil is not saying don't make the sale. What I am saying is, though, after the sale is made, analyze it. Is this the ideal market fit? Is this the ideal use case for our product? Because sometimes we have adjacencies. I want to be really clear, mm -hmm. right? If you're selling to hospitals, you may have an adjacency with hospitality, right? Because they both take care of people. Okay, you might have some adjacency with customer service because they talk to people. But if that's your use case, that's great. But if the use case is, oh yeah, we'll use it this way with hospitals and we use it this way with hospitality, we use it this way with customer service. Well, now we have like three case studies that don't help with anything because we don't have any consistency of what we're doing, not to mention, how do we hire? Mm -hmm. How do we score our sales team? How do we make sure that people are effective? How do we, how do we market, right? I, I see this all the time with companies that I work with. I see that often there's no consistent marketing message. Like, who are you talking to? What problems are you solving? Let's start there. I, I, I believe in social selling and solution selling. Solution selling meaning you should try your darndest to have a problem that your product solves even before you go to market. Hmm. And people that have this problem are people, that's how you get adjacencies, right? That's how we get adjacencies. Multiple companies in different industries can have that problem. But here's the thing. If you're going after persona based and you're saying, you know what, the CMO of, uh, you know, space companies is my target. Well, why is that? What problems are you solving? What you end up doing is you run the risk of being a vitamin instead of an aspirin, something that's additive instead of something that stops the bleeding. I'm not, now, companies that are doing great, fantastic. That's awesome, right? You want to be an additive. If you can be a force multiplier, beautiful. But sometimes you have to stop the bleeding. And even in those successful companies, something is bleeding. There's money leaking somewhere. It's your job to find out. And you sometimes have to guess. Hey, CMOs of space companies, often they suffer from X. Is this the case with you too? I have to make a best guess. And if it is, yay, hooray, I got a conversation. If not, then I just ask, so what is the challenge? What are you experiencing? Or how did you solve that? That's great. I've got 10 companies just like you that I've been talking to and those CMOs have said, that's the problem. So what are you doing to mitigate that problem? Now we got that, now we've got conversation, right? Cause they might find that, oh, well that, oh, that you could really help with that even more. Like sometimes they put a bandage on it. Sometimes they put a cast on it. Sometimes they cut the arm off and replace the whole arm. You got to decide where they are. And if you don't, if you just spread out, you just keep selling bandages. And you're not getting the highest and best from your clients and your solution isn't solving a big enough problem that you're going to continue to get funding and probably you're going to get eaten for lunch by your competition because they're going to they're going to rip you off right and then they're going to be a low price leader you got to be careful of that yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and this this thing about just hiring people willy-nilly and and getting them out in front of a target market um, you're going to develop a reputation as a company over time and there's going to be kind of a weirdness about it uh, if you got all these people doing different things in different directions imagine say say it's all inside sales it's just inside sales it's uh, inbound calls right the way that one 
perspective customer gets treated with salesperson A could be completely different than the way salesperson B would treat them. Like imagine different stories out there in the marketplace, right? We know that service, how was their service, right? Is, is a qualitative thing. And it's based on experiences like this, not just, hey, did my gizmo solve the problem? right? Or stop the bleeding or whatever. It's how was I treated? What was the experience like? So you're getting this really wonky uh, qualitative thing going on without a consistent sales process. And, and to be fair, and I've talked about this in other interviews, uh, I didn't have a consistent sales process for 10 years. It, it took me 10 years of being in, in sales where I was a pretty good product sales guy, right? Uh, before I asked, is there another way of doing this? Is there a different way? Right? And then I got me some sales training, which I paid for myself and stuck with, and then I became a sales trainer. So the message that I want to get across to founders of all kinds today is that, uh, you know, you guys are full, just like Phil and I, of founder fuel, right? Rawr, you know, and, and we can make sales based on that founder fuel. But the problem with salespeople is that the founders think as a rule, as a trend that I've seen is all you need to do with salespeople is kind of feed them leads and give them product knowledge and they'll take care of themselves. What's missing here, Phil, from, from your perspective, what dangers is the founder unknowingly walking into by having this perspective? Well, first, nobody that you hire is ever going to act like an owner like you do, mm -hmm. unless you give them ownership nobody is going to do that. So what you're walking into is, well, why doesn't Phil just do this? Why isn't he just willing to work 97 hours a week in order to do this? And if Phil is willing to work 97 hours a week and then he burns out, well, now you have to replace Phil. And often Phil will quit and stay. Mm -hmm. He will go from 97 hours a week pumping this out. You'll think, oh boy, he's just having a you know, he's having a good time, having a good time. It's three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And then suddenly whoof, crashes. And he goes from the best producer to the zero with producer. And you, then you're stuck with this person because you're like, oh, I, I feel a little loyalty. Uh, well, Phil was the best producer last quarter, uh, last month, last year. Oh, six months ago, right? I mean, it is really tough. And then what happens is Phil goes somewhere else and nobody that he goes to work with in the next organization is ever gonna work for you. And salespeople talk, you don't have to like it, but it's true, salespeople talk. They compare experiences, they compare how much they're getting paid, they compare what the, you know, what percentage of commission they're getting, how their boss was, what your company's really like. And you're gonna no longer get a fill, you're gonna get someone below that, right? Someone below a top performer, you're gonna get someone that's, that's about 80% of that, and then eventually 60% of that, maybe 40% of that, and pretty soon you're gonna get nothing but a bunch of washouts. So I encourage you, as you're thinking about this, really put your money where your mouth is and have a process so that people talk good about you, even if it doesn't always work, it's okay that it doesn't always work. No salesperson expects to close 100% of deals. That's just not real. So take the time, right? Develop this process and then be open to feedback that maybe we can improve this process. Maybe we can do it a little bit better. Really, really key. Otherwise, you're just gonna get bad salespeople and worse results. All right, so there's a real slippery slope here. <laughs> without, without taking this, uh, you know, taking control of this whole thing. Um, you, you've talked about 
managing and coaching sales leaders. I'd like you to define what that is, a sales leader in your mind, and then talk about what the different priorities are, or focus points on in coaching somebody like that than uh, compared to line salespeople. Sure. Well, sales leaders, anybody who's responsible for more revenue than themselves. Mm. So that could be responsible for two, could be a sales team leader, right? Two salespeople, 10 salespeople, 50 salespeople, right? That is one thing that they absolutely should be uh, thinking about as your leader, right? Do I do, am I responsible for more than just me? That makes me a sales leader. So what do they do, right? So, so first, they carry quota differently than your sales team, right? They carry quota differently than your sales team. Their big, wonderful thing is that they carry quota for Phil and Jason, and Phil's quota, if I'm the sales leader, is 20% of Jason's because I've got five Jasons or four Jasons or whatever. And I am responsible then for removing obstacles. I'm responsible for removing obstacles as a sales leader. So what does that mean? Well, I look at my sales process and I say, okay, from here comes the inbound lead or here gets entered the, the person into our CRM, right? That is the start. How does that look? What data do we collect that first piece? Then we should get to some discovery questions, right? What discovery questions is my team asking? What are they doing, right? How are they making those calls? Are they disciplined to the 12, 15, 20 touch rule that they have, okay? That is what a sales leader has to help them with, right? Are you disciplined to that? What happened then when you got answers to those, okay? And, and then entry into the CRM, right? So that's the first half. Then the back half, right? The proposal, the presentation, the close. A sales leader is responsible for that as well. So if we've got a four to six stage sales process, a sales leader is responsible for each of those processes being followed in the proper way, measuring those results, seeing what success looks like, and then at flattening that out across the organization First, to set a baseline for everybody and then coaching each person individually to say, you know what, Jason, for you, it looks like if you make 50 calls a day, you get 10 connects and you get three actual appointments. That's great. We need six. So we have to double that. Okay. Or we need to improve your quality, right? Either way. So, and we're going to try both again, single variant testing. And most sales leaders get lazy. They just push, they just say, get a hundred get 500, make a thousand calls, but they don't look at the actual quality of the conversation to see what's actually there. Sales leaders are accountable for those results, right? When we think about accountability, they're accountable up to their sales, their senior sales leader, to the CFO, to the organization. They're accountable sideways to the other sales leaders, to the other department heads, to the other people in the organization that are counting on sales to bring in revenue, and they're accountable down to their team, right? So, so by not addressing those things, by not focusing on those things, by not doing your job as a sales leader, really, you could cost the whole organization everything. And if you don't have a process for doing that, a process for reviewing that, if it isn't on your calendar, if you don't do it often enough, well, chances are you're gonna lead by your gut, which I'm not saying your gut's wrong, but you don't have any data to back it up. And then you end up playing favorites, or you end up going just by gut and you end up with some unconscious bias that we don't wanna have. So yeah, that's, that's the, 
in a nutshell, right, that's sales leadership. And what does coaching look like, right? It's helping them be accountable, helping them structure different conversations, much like a sales uh, leader is going to go to their team and give them 10 opens, 10 new discovery questions, 10 ideas for talking about the product, 10 questions to ask, 10 ways to be better at presentations. Well, sales coach does the same thing for their leader. Hey, when you're coaching Jason, it doesn't look like you're getting the results that you wanted to get. Have you considered this? Are you asking this question, right? It's a discovery question there as well. A discovery session there, much like you do with a prospect if you're in sales. Okay. So Phil, what you got me thinking about is, uh, again, I go back to a lot of these engineering driven um, R&D type organizations that, that I deal with a lot. They don't, the, the, the CEO or founder is the, the chief salesperson. They do not have a sales manager. Uh, they don't have a, a pipeline like pipe drive. They don't have a CRM. Um, what, what we just talked about probably sounds like, well, the big companies do that. I don't know about us, right? At what point should a founder be thinking about implementing these things? Actually, not even thinking about getting on implementing these things. Yeah. Wow. It's start small, right? Yeah. Okay. You don't have to be big. It's because that's a really hard question, right? Because mm. it does feel massive. But what I would tell you is, okay, let's map this out, right? Let's yeah. let's take a piece of paper. Let's pick our four, four pieces of the process. And let's think about that. Okay, so how long is our average sales cycle? 30, 60, 90, 180 days, how long is it? If you're starting out, I'm hoping your cycles are shorter. So let's pretend that it's 100 days. And let's pretend that all cycles start equally. So four stages, right? So 25 days, 25 days, 25, 25. Okay, that's our average. We have to start there. Then we can coach against the variant. Okay, well, Jason only takes 13 days to get through stage one, but he takes 37 days to get through stage two. Well, we're still at 50 days. We're still about right. And then he never gets past stage two. No deals close. No deals go to proposal oh, okay, I'm, he might need some help there. Or no deals close. So if we think about it, right, we got open, we got discovery, we got presentation proposal, and then we got close. Four simple stages. If we split those up and we coach those and that's all we coach, hey, that's great. That's all, that's all we need. Start small, right? And honest, start with paper. I mean, it's great that you got a CRM. I mean, I, I love pipe drive, nutshell, um, you know, I could go on and on. All these apps. Nipple, yeah. right? I could go on and on. It's not about the apps, gang. Yeah. If you're listening, you're a founder, you're like, well, what app do I use? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you don't have a process, any app will fail. Mm -hmm. And if you have a process and you're strict to it, find an app then that fits your process, fits your pipeline schematic, right? Just go simple, like I just shared with you. Simplest sales process on the planet. Open, which could be email or phone call. Discovery, questions to ask, proposal presentation, let's have a chat. Here's my, here's what it looks like, right? Some people call it a demo call, demonstrate value, demonstrate the software, and then close. Ask for the deal. That's it. Start there and then coach to that. It won't take you as long because you'll know where things are and just come up with a number. You can be wrong. It's fine. When you know better, do better. Right. Does that help? Yes. That yes. yes. Uh, set a baseline. Folks, I've used uh, Google Sheets with conditional formatting as my CRM in many different businesses all over the years, right? It's, 
you know, the spreadsheets back when we had those, right? Now it's all online through, uh, through Google Drive and Google Teams, which is a really great repository uh, for everything. But it doesn't have to be complicated. You, but you do have to know where you are. And the other thing too, Phil, that I wanted to ask you about with the sales managers and that, um, when not to bid, Right. I, I have seen companies go bankrupt chasing every single proposal. And, and in fact, uh, I've talked about this with my first role right out of college. We bid on every power plant project that moved and that cost us. Right. It took me a full day at my salary to put the package together. And I had reduced the quoting time from 40 hours to eight hours. I was real proud of myself. Right. Now we can get into debt faster. Uh, by churning out all these quotes. And it was a printed document. We'd courier it around the world, right? And, and sure, it might only be a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars a shot or something like that. But you do that hundreds of times over the year, right? <laughs> You're going into debt. So yeah. when, you know, when should sales leaders, and, and I include founders in that uh, bucket, be considering like, uh, we probably shouldn't, we should probably shepherd our resources a little bit better here. Well, this at first, I would say the sooner, the better. Um, the sooner you can mm -hmm. figure this out, the better. And when, right, like if you look at that, do I have a real use case for this? Mm. Is this the real problem that we want to solve? Is this, you know, can, can they buy this off the shelf with little customization? If they can, you can, I mean, for real, man, like this pen, mm -hmm. this pen can work for any industry. You can buy it off the shelf. You don't need anything special. It's just a pen. That's magical, right? But if you think about it, right, we contrast that with, here, let's let's talk about this plug right here. This plug has uh, two USB-B and two USB-C uh, outlets, and it's got a plug into the wall. Well, if you are someone who has an iPhone 6, that probably won't work for you. If this, if you work with someone who doesn't have these outlets, right? That doesn't work. Right. Yeah, if oh, you're in Europe. Oh, your space, <laughs> I can drill a hole here. Well, now I just cost money to fit your need. So I would say at least initially, try to be strong enough that if it's gonna cost you money, if it's not off the shelf, say no. Say, nope, I I'm gonna pass on this deal for now. Maybe come back to it. That's okay, right? If if somebody, if your process, right? If you don't have a process, your customer defines it, your prospect defines it, right? If you don't have a proposal, then you're letting them send you one, right? If you don't have a legal agreement, if you don't have terms of service, if you don't have that process, right? That says after, you know, then you're gonna get eaten for lunch because they're gonna do it. I can tell you, I've got a client uh, that I've worked with for a, quite a while that their proposal used to be 17 pages of gobbledygook. No we had would to read shorten it. that up for them <laughs> yeah. because what happened is the founder was spending time going back and forth with the attorneys to get the red lines approved or denied. Mm. When in reality, here's the thing, all that you get if you work with this company is your money back. If we totally suck, here's your money back. Oh, I mean, how hard is that terms of service? Because mm -hmm. really, I'm not going to sue you. You're not going to sue me. You just want your money back. Oh, okay, cool, right? I mean, we're maximum indemnification of your money back. But you should put that in your contract because otherwise somebody else is going to do that, right? So when you're chasing deals, if they redline your contract, Oliver, back up, stop, no, hold on. 
maybe that's not good. If they ask to change a product, maybe that's not good. Or, oh, well, we've had 11 meetings already. Let's have a couple more. Let's bring in some more senior people. Be careful of those deals, gang. Be really careful because remember, everything has an opportunity cost. If you are stopping development, if you're a software company and you're stopping development to have an RFP meeting that you didn't define, that you have like a 12% chance of actually winning because truly if there's an RFP, some other vendor somewhere put it together. If you're stopping development for that, you need to ask yourself, is this really worth taking four days off of moving forward to veer off here? That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and a lot of what you're saying, it, it ties together uh, what you just said there to what you said at the beginning about uh, like targeting that ideal customer, the trigger points, the qualifiers, right? I, um, I think qualifying is a superpower for me. It's a, the, the part of the sales process I know and apply best. And it, it makes me not have to close really. My close is when do you want to get started, right? Or what do you want to do next? This is not some fancy wording. Uh, and for the qualified uh, buyer, right? It, it's an obvious thing to move ahead. And I feel for, for you, it's kind of the same thing there. Yeah, well, it's got to be, right? It, it yeah. should be obvious, at least when you're mm -hmm. starting out, it should be obvious that there's a path forward. When it's not, chances are it's not the best deal. I'm not telling you it won't mm -hmm. still close. I'm not telling you it's not still revenue to make. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, pause for a sec. Why is there no obvious path forward? Maybe again, right? Let's talk about our sales process. Did I do crappy discovery? Right? Did I not ask the right questions? Did I not uncover a problem? What's going on here? If there's no, or, or did my person not make an offer? Did they not say, so Jason, here's our usual process, right? Usually what happens is we do this call, then I send a proposal from the proposal. You'll sign that electronically. You'll send in the first month's payment from the first month's payment then we'll onboard you from an onboarding process, right? Then we'll introduce you to the account management team. They'll help with that, right? On account management, then every week they'll have a conversation with you at the end of 90 days when our trial is up, right? I mean, you should be able to explain that path. And then when you ask, well, Jason, what makes sense to you? Mm -hmm. If they say, well, I still, I don't have any idea. Well, <laughs> something is wrong. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Something's amiss here, gang. Right. It's a, so, I, folks, I hope that you're taking this to heart. The sales process is the key here more than anything else. Right. A lot of founders I, I talk to get caught up in the technology stack decisions. Phil already covered that. Doesn't matter. And I've, I've been saying that for years, years and years. Right. It does not matter what you use. What matters is sort of the skeleton behind it, the process behind it. Uh, and, and I've had other guests who will, will talk about this thing, uh, specifically about CRMs is what I'm thinking about uh, buying the thing with the fanciest bells and whistles because the salesperson did a good job <laughs> kind of giving you the snow job, right? Of uh, look at all this cool stuff that you'll never actually use, right? That, that is a bad decision. But knowing what your process is allows you to diagnose what went wrong or what's going well quickly. It allows you to qualify your prospective buyers and opportunities, like we just talked about with the bidding, should I do this or should I not, right? And, uh, and, and in the fulfillment phase, right? What's gonna happen? Phil just talked about that. How are we gonna work together? It's not a mystery, it's written down. And 
you all may be listening, nodding. I, I got to say, I have met company after company, founder after founder, who had nothing written down, who had no consistency. And I don't want you to feel bad about that, but I do want you to recognize that the alarm bells should be ringing, if that's the case. So, Phil, you host a show. <laughs> you, you, like me, have been, uh, you know, doing this sort of thing for many years. And uh, I'm always, like, it's, it's always a pleasure for me to meet an experienced show host because I know you've suffered the way I have. <laughs> so I wanted to hear, um, we're going to talk about social media, social selling and that in a second. But I wanted to find out what over the years has been critical for you about having a show and being a host to keep up the intensity, um, the interest, uh, both from, from the audience and yourself and, and momentum here. Uh, and what kind of process improvements you've made over time to make the whole thing easier? Great question. So uh, to keep up the intensity first, I only have guests on that I actually want to talk to. That's the first thing. If I don't want to talk to you, well, you don't get to be on my show. I don't take a lot of cold pitches. I do have a couple groups that if, uh, you know, if Karen Schwab at Interview Valet sends me an email, chances are she's done her homework and knows, hey, this is what Phil likes. And Phil, here's, she, again, right, she sells me. Hey, Phil, here's why I think this would be a good fit. So Karen, thank you for being you and for doing that with your team. That is one of the process improvements that I have, though, is cold pitches seldom get on the air. Yep. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, as far as other processes go, I'm using StreamYard to do my show. And that's a big process saver for me because what I've done now is I can have a video clip at the beginning and a video clip at the end. And I can have a video clip in the middle for different things. And I can post-produce during the show, which is super important for me because it's me, right? I, it's my show. So I don't want to send it out. I, I can I could, but I'd rather not. I'd rather do it in real time because it feels more fun for me. And then with that, then the other process improvement that I've had is I've understood that if I set it up once and I have this process, that it's going to work over and over again. So I have a templated graphic. I have a template of questions that I could use. I don't typically, but I could in case things go horrible. I have them and I have all the, di all the distribution places set up on Libsyn so that as I push a button once, it says publish, bloop, it goes a bunch of different places. And I have graphics for that. So it is a machine, it is a process. And when things fail, there's only one of three ways. One, I didn't go live. That seldom can happen because it says live. Oh, cool, right? So that means it might've failed. That's one, two. Oh, there's no thumbnail. Oh, Phil, did you forget to upload the thumbnail? That happens sometimes too. Okay, great. And then three, did it not go to my channels? That's a Libsyn problem. Or it could be a Phil problem again, right? So a lot of times I'm the point of failure, but it's my process. Simple process, right? I have that. And then really front end, like the zero step, even if I know the guest, even if I love the guest, and even if it's you, Jason, I would ask that you fill out the form because that way it frames the conversation for how you want to frame it. So then I can shift my brain and say, hmm, okay, how does Jason's request fit with my process, with my questions, with my stuff, so that we can make this mesh so that it's magical instead of a mistake. 
Right. Yeah. And that filling out the info form, uh, you know, to, to request to being a guest, even if you know the host, et cetera. The first time I had to do that, I found it kind of infuriating. But, uh, you know, having having been a host for like 10 years worth of shows, I know how valuable that is. Right. And, you know, just think about all the people that, you know, on on social media. And you may have an impression of who they are and what they do and like them, right? And it's it's a favorable impression in that. But really, when you get down to it, I was talking to a guy yesterday who uh, I've been connected with on Facebook literally for at least five years. And uh, he was asking me a positioning question, and I was able to answer it. I had no idea he was a copywriter, Phil, until he told me and shared his website with me because he doesn't talk about it. And uh, or I don't see the posts right as uh, as could be. So uh, I love all those set up things. Uh, you know, you and I both talk about uh, having both a, a business or even a podcast running like an engine. Right? You've got these yep. systems, and uh, we put inputs in, and they process it in some way, and then an output comes the other side. And making it easy to diagnose. This stuff should not be a black box. Well, I don't know what happened. Right? I put stuff in, magic happens, and stuff comes out the other side. That's not good. Right? Simplicity, like you mentioned, uh, is key here. And starting off with a baseline. A lot of folks won't do that uh, or haven't done that until I've talked to them <laughs> because they're afraid, right, of getting that baseline wrong. And I'm like, no, set a target, gather your data over time, and then look at the variance, right? Planned versus actual after a month or two months or three months or whatever, you'll have an idea, right? Whether your target was above or below or, or near where it ought to be. And then you can make an adjustment, but start gathering data is the key here. So Phil, you're on social media. I'm on social media. Um, I see a lot of sales leaders on LinkedIn, especially making, shall we say, uh, posts designed to get attention. Sometimes it sort of blows up in their face, but I don't think they mind. Uh, they wanted the attention, even if it's bad attention to that. But should sales leaders be on social media? I think yes, for two reasons. One, for validation. If you're talking to somebody, if you're a founder, they're going to go to LinkedIn and they're going to put in your name. You should be there. You should look like you know what you're doing. You should talk about the problems you solve. You should be a real person. That validation is really key. And then secondly, is the attraction. If people find you on social and you're approachable and you look like a smart individual, well, chances are people are going to want to work with you. Now, they didn't say they're going to send you messages, didn't say they're going to send you money, I didn't say they're going to send you business, but I promise you that if you're approachable, right, if you post some things, not just stuff to get attention, but some thoughtful stuff, some stuff even about your company, that's fine. You don't have to be, you know, agnostic and act like you don't have a business. Don't make it all about you, but certainly some about you is perfectly fine, right? Hey, here's the cool stuff we're doing. Hey, we're really excited. But look at it through the eyes of a potential employee, even more than a potential prospect, because unless you're reaching out, chances are your prospect is not looking for you. So validate, have a profile that doesn't suck, that you post some great stuff and then be approachable because you can attract the right people. Get involved in a little bit of conversation, right? Take 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week even. Go and make some comments, right? Think about the people you want to work with you. Who could help you build your team? 
get involved in those people and those conversations. Everybody wants validation. So validate that their ideas are good. Hey, Jason, great post, man. Very thoughtful there. I hadn't considered that. Or, hey, I'm thinking about it this way, man. What do you think? Oh, real simple. And then perhaps we connect and then I send you a private message. Hey, I'd love to talk to you more. Or the, the ask without asking, hey, Jason, do you happen to know any really smart people in the space industry that might be able to help me with my product? And of course, Jason's thinking, well, I'm a smart guy in that industry. Perhaps you should talk to me. And if Jason's a good human, he'll come up with a couple of people. We also say, you know what? I could probably talk to you about that too. Let's have a conversation. And now, right, that attraction helps because you're already a little bit familiar. So in the middle of that, right, that attraction and that validation becomes some sort of relationship, even if it's just ambient. It's way better than stranger danger. Hey, come work for my crappy company because I've never heard of you before. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so that validation, um, really, really key there. I, I'm, I'm thinking through my own stuff, right? Is it, is it up to snuff? Well, there are always areas we could improve, right? Um, a lot of the, a lot of the things to our website copy, my LinkedIn profile copy is not, it doesn't say what I want it to say. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not inaccurate, but it's not the best uh, that it could be. And that's after I put in a fair amount of effort, but uh, capabilities and focus change over time. And uh, what we were doing two years ago isn't necessarily what we're doing today, right? And uh, the focus on that. So how often should uh, sales leaders be reviewing their, their social media profiles and checking in with themselves and going, you know, do, do I still stand for this? Are these still my values? Is this still the target customer? Uh, or is in my case, is this still the process that we use and who we do it for? Well, I would say, you know, much like you have a quarterly business review mm. for your best customers, much like you have a quarterly review for your best salespeople, you should have a quarterly review for yourself. Is this still who I am? Is this still what I stand for? Does this picture still look like me? Mm -hmm. Do I still have this job? Have things changed? I can tell you that I've worked in organizations where their target message persona, because typically, right, that's going to, you're going to put that somewhere in there. That changed. And I can tell you that, you know, the one from six years ago for the, your long-term employees, or even six months ago, if you're a fast-moving organization, that's changed. Have you changed your profile to reflect that? Have you changed your, right? If, you're, if your customer base changes and you're like, well, I'm no longer working with hospitals. Now I want to work in the space industry. Do you still say that you help patients? Or do you say you help astronauts? I mean, come on, right? I mean, who, what are you saying here? So every time those changes, but at a minimum, every quarter, right? I always joke about headshots. Have mm -hmm. I gained or lost weight? Have mm -hmm. I gained or lost hair, right? Yep. Any of those things, I should be changing my profile. Has my company changed their favorite case studies? Do we have new things that can be more attractive? I mean, in a featured section on LinkedIn, is that an interview from 11 years ago, back when Phil was blonde? I don't know. If it was, well, massive disconnect. And if that's all you've got, well, hey, sales leader, how come your marketing team hasn't talked to you about your methodology? Or how come you haven't just pulled up a camera and talked to it yourself? Or why haven't you pulled another sales leader and had a conversation with them to talk about? And then you both can share it. Yep. I mean, here's the thing. 
if you're invisible, you're not going to get the money you deserve. People need to know you, they need to like you, and they need to trust you. On social, it is easy to get to know and like, and then we can have a conversation one-on-one, -on -one, much like this, and then we can gain some trust. It takes time, sure, but think about that. If you could get past the first three stages of your sales process or the first three stages of your hiring process, if you're a sales leader, how much more efficient would you be? If that's going to make you more efficient, wouldn't you use that tool? That's what social is for me. And I'm not telling you, you got to be on every channel. Pick one. I'd encourage you to pick LinkedIn that you go deep on and then pick one. Again, I'd tell you Instagram and dabble, but go deep on LinkedIn, right? Put your money on LinkedIn or pick one and then just connect. See what's there. Learn, ask questions, be yourself, show up that way. LinkedIn is where all the professionals go. It's where the money is. You don't always have to be super professional or super talking about money, but be, as my friend Jason Seiden says, be professional, right? Some professional and some personal. <laughs> all right. And, and folks, about that, the hair thing that Phil was kind of joking about, it's true. Uh, I recently, maybe a couple months ago, talked to uh, an operational excellence executive at a major company. And when I got on uh, Zoom with him like this, it was a, a private meeting. I wasn't sure I was talking to the right guy. He had uh, gone full beard scraggly beard right with the covid thing i guess he's been allowed to work remotely a lot and uh his he looked nothing like his um his profile picture on linkedin and there was a moment of alarm on my end if i got the right guy what you know what have i done here so you know and it's obviously it sorted itself out but uh this these kinds of disconnects right we're talking about selling here you do not want to have a, a bump in the road that you could easily take out like that, that you can yeah. easily smooth over. Uh, Phil, I have, this is a question that'll help me. I, I it'll probably help other people. You brought up Instagram and I've been thinking about uh, taking the cold star project and, and doing some things on Instagram with it. But I, I have, I've got an account. I haven't done much with it. Uh, what, what would you recommend uh, since you are a show host and I'm sure you're promoting your own show there. What do you do? Uh, do you do, are there five second snippets or something like that or images? So uh, first I'm not on there as my business, not mm. very well anyway. And okay. I don't care to be, people mm. are looking for me. They're not looking for my company. Okay. Um, so what do I do there? Yeah. I, I post, you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm reading a new book, like right now, uh, the set, the, not the, the only book, but one of the books I'm reading is Swagger. Mm. She was a guest, Leslie M. Fantastic book, right? Unleash everything you are and become everything you want. So I take a picture of me with the book or have my sweetheart take a picture of me with the book. And I post that. And I talk about the value in the book, um, which people find value in because if you follow me, you probably are interested in stuff that I'm interested in. You probably have some of the same challenges I do. Like you said, this will help me. Yeah. This will help people like me. Let's just say that, right? And that's my goal. I'm trying to serve those people like me and those people who follow me, who look to me for insight, okay? So books, for sure. Sometimes I do quick videos. Um, for my show, a lot of times, um, that picture of me with the book, A, it drives book sales, so my guest is happy, but B, often it drives podcast sales too. Ooh, I didn't even know you had a podcast. Mm -hmm. I want to roll my eyes when I say that, when they say that to me, because that means... 
I've done a poor job of that. Or to your, to your point before, maybe the algorithm didn't show yeah. you the most, right? And that happens. Yeah. Let's just be totally clear, right? That does happen. So, um, but I post, you know, behind the scenes stuff. I post insights with that. So anything you think of that's smart that you might put on LinkedIn, just find a graphic, make a graphic, use word swag, really simple tool to take a quote. Like if you, you know, from this show, you could take a picture of the two of us, the first graphic, you know, you have a little carousel. First one might be the smart quote that Phil said. I don't know if I said anything smart, but if I might've, right, you might take that. And then the second might be that clip, or it might just be a picture of you and I on screen, right? That says, hey, tune into the, you know, the podcast on Tuesday or whatever. Um, and that let's also remember stories. So stories can be a nice behind the scenes look with a quick video of, hey, Jason, we're on uh, the phone right now. And, uh, you know, or I'm going live with Jason Canigan and we're talking about this and that. Hey, tune in to, uh, you know, coldstartechnologies.com show for this, right? So um, that's, you know, that's what I do. And then some inspiration, right? I, I wanna inspire myself. I wanna inspire others. I don't think I'm the only smart guy on the planet. So I share other people's stuff too. And, uh, you know, that, that seems to work now. I'm not trying to make that uh, my, my home, but I will also say, as I find people that I want to network with, I look to see if they're on Instagram because often Instagram people share more personal stuff. Mm. And if I make a more personal connection, I have a better chance of making a more business connection later. No like trust. Right. And I'll throw relevance in there as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which I feel is, is just as important as the no like trust thing. Okay. Well, let's finish up with this, Phil. Uh, who do you want to meet? Um, who, who's in a position uh, to, to kind of get the most out of working with Phil and, uh, and the process and results team? Um, you know, who do you want to meet? So agency owners that are selling on their own, that maybe don't have a, a great process, folks who maybe need their team to leverage digital better. I talked about, you know, LinkedIn, I can teach the team about integrating digital into their process more, right, into transforming that. If they were, if they're, you know, everybody was hopefully was inside sales this year. You hopefully you didn't just lay off your sales team, um, but how to, you know, how to insert video, how to insert LinkedIn, how to insert some Instagram, how to, how to really into that sales process that I talked about, how do we find people? How do we talk to people? How do we discover their needs? How do we get better presenting, right? How do we do a better demo? How do we shorten up that proposal? And then ultimately, how do we close more business? So folks, if you're hearing that and you're like, wow, that could be helpful for me. I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to, you know, love to see if there's opportunity to, to help. Um, cause I can make things simple, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a results guy that likes to think in terms of as simple a process as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guarantee you folks, if you work with Phil, your sales cycle will be shortened and you will have a process that you understand that you can use to diagnose where you can get the biggest bang for your buck next. Right. And to a guy like me, that is super valuable stuff, right? I don't want to go into work thinking about, hmm, let me figure it out from scratch. Where, where should I put my effort in today, right? When you know your process, you know where things, where that bottleneck is, right? You know, and you can go, aha, like you said, uh, this, this section of the pipeline is too long, this stage, right? It's, it's longer than we expect. What can we do to shorten that down? Imagine, instead of guessing, which I see a lot of people doing, I've done it myself, 
<laughs> and I know better, right? Uh, you could you could really zero in there. Okay, well, Phil Gerbyshack, you've been a fantastic guest. I want to remind our listeners and viewers that you are a a speaker. Uh, you do do keynote speeches, and I have had many people, uh, mutual friends of ours, tell me how great you are uh, as a keynote speaker about these sorts of things. Uh, and, and also with the COVID and, and with the power of Zoom and Facebook and that, you could go live with Phil, uh, with the organization virtually here uh, about mindset and the tool set of a successful business. You guys know how loudly I've been banging the drum about having a mental picture of what a successful business looks like in the minds of you and your people, right? You need that, that North Star, that guiding light to uh, move towards and to know like no this is off course or yes this is absolutely in the in the direction that we want to go and uh, going live with phil may be the very best thing you do this year so thanks a lot for being here phil and i look forward to talking with you again thanks jason great to have you and everyone to your success so you just listened to phil and i talk about the challenges of growing the sales process sales tech stack the, the side of the business that comes when you start hitting success with message to market fit. Now, let's take a step back. What if you were a government contractor, defense contractor, or a new business, and you realized, hey, in order to uh, lower risk and have ensure that we have a business that's ongoing, uh, what if we set up a commercial side to the business. Now this is an area that Cold Star Tech can specifically help you with because it's not just a matter of plug in this and do that. There's actually cultural shifts, mindset shifts that you need to make. The stuff you're doing as a contractor is not what's going to work as a commercial company or if you decide to build a commercial business unit. It's not going to work the same way and so we can help you with that cultural and mindset shift plus all the tech. Uh, and you end up, <laughs> end up working with Phil on some of this stuff as well. You need this correct, integrated approach to building a commercial business or a business unit. And if you're in the market to figure that out, come talk to us because we're going to save you from a hell of a lot of hassle, screw-ups, wasted time. And we're going to get you started off right, on the right foot to begin with. And uh, <laughs> boy, that's going to have a huge impact on your results. Thanks for listening.